It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Friday, June 11th, 2021. On this day in 1977, a 20-day standoff between the Dutch government and South Moluccan terrorists ended in a bloody shootout. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and terrorism that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today we'll hear about a clash between Dutch military authorities and a group of extremists which ended an almost three-week-long hostage situation. Let's go back to just before 5 a.m. on June 11, 1977, near the Dutch village of Glimmen. It was just dawn on a pleasant spring morning when Dutch marine commandos crept up to a motionless train. The cars had been the home of 51 hostages for the past 20 days. South Moluccan gunmen guarded their captives, who they hoped to use as political leverage. The terrorists demanded that their Pacific Island home, formerly a Dutch colony and now under Indonesian rule, be given independence. While the Marines began boarding the train, five jet airplanes dropped smoke bombs from above. A journalist with the Associated Press was reporting from about three-quarters of a mile away from where the train was located. He described what he experienced. The ground is trembling. They're firing. A lot of firing. Everybody, reporters, photographers, police, army men, are ducking down behind armored personnel carriers. Later, it was estimated that over 15,000 bullets had been discharged by the military at the train. One of the hostages, Ott J. Twicht, woke up to gunshots and tried to take cover. Twicht described the ensuing chaos to the New York Times. We heard machine guns, then a horrible noise. I thought they were burning their way into the train with acetylene torches or flamethrowers. Later, we realized that they were planes flying over. At the same time, additional Marines driving a tank stormed a small village school 12 miles away. The terrorists were holding another four hostages there. Between them, the two parties of more than 2,000 soldiers and law enforcement officers freed 55 hostages. During the fighting, six of the terrorists and two of the hostages were shot and killed. Some citizens wondered if such a dramatic show of force had really been necessary to finish the standoff. But Prime Minister Joop Den Oil defended the operation in a radio broadcast, claiming the government didn't have any other choice. The conflict started on May 23rd. That day, in two simultaneous actions, more than 150 hostages were seized by extremists, led by 24-year-old Max Papalaya. 
The hijackers insisted the Dutch government support them in their bid for independence, as it had promised them freedom after World War II. Once the hostages on the train and in the small school were secured, Papalaya demanded for 21 South Moluccan terrorists to be let out from prison. He also wanted a plane to fly the released prisoners, himself and his compatriots, out of the country. When his demands weren't met immediately, he and the rest of the extremists settled in for what would become, at the time, the longest mass kidnapping in modern history. But just four days in, they lost a lot of their leverage. Illness spread through the prisoners in the school, and Papalaya allowed the release of more than 100 sick children and one teacher so they could get medical help. This unanticipated setback all but ensured Papalaya would not succeed. Coming up, we'll hear from some of the survivors about the raid. Hi, listeners. It's Carter from ParCast, and I am thrilled to tell you about a new limited series I'm hosting just in time for Father's Day. It's called Devious Dads and it introduces you to some of the most feared, fraudulent, and fatal fathers in history. Every Sunday on Spotify, discover the men who started out as role models and ended up becoming real-life criminals, like Wall Street financier Bernie Madoff, whose billion-dollar Ponzi scheme destroyed countless families, including his own, or Marvin Gaye Sr., whose envy and resentment towards his son's successful music career drove him to murder. Each episode of Devious Dads has been handpicked from shows across the ParCast network, shining a light on the men who are far more wicked than wise. This summer, catch a glimpse of the frightening side of fatherhood. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Devious Dads. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. On June 11, 1977, the Dutch Marines ended a 20-day hostage situation, freeing dozens of captives from South Moluccan terrorists. Some of the victims of the train hijacking shared what they went through with the New York Times. One captive remembered the moment he realized what was happening. He heard the emergency brake of the train being pulled. Then he saw the leader of the terrorists, Papalaya, standing in the door holding a rifle. He and some of his masked compatriots sorted the passengers into train compartments and ordered them to help cover the windows with newspaper so that nobody could see inside. As terrifying as it was, there was hope the attackers would be merciful as they immediately released 34 passengers, most of whom were elderly. The first couple days of captivity were relatively peaceful. The hijackers ordered the captives to sit silently and remain as still as possible. But after two days of the standoff, the kidnappers' demands still hadn't been met by the Dutch authorities. The South Moluccans sent a gruesome message in an attempt to spur them on. A woman and two men were sent out of the train, blindfolded and with nooses tied around their necks. The grim scene was meant to scare and threaten observers and light a fire under the negotiators. Even though the display was frightening, the hostages realized that their lives weren't necessarily in danger. 
On May 28th, one of the captives attacked one of the hijackers. Papalaya rushed over to pull the men apart. He told his men not to kill any of the hostages. From that moment, the prisoners were relatively certain they wouldn't be seriously harmed. The Moluccans also showed some compassion when Ansha Manshu, a teenage girl on the train, celebrated her 19th birthday in captivity. She was given a cake and a round of congratulations from everyone on board. Despite the celebration, the young woman grimly joked that she would never leave the train. On June 4th, the first formal mediation was attempted. After six hours of discussion, the terrorists agreed to release the pregnant women from the train. As they exited to freedom, the rest of the captives broke into applause. The next day, another prisoner was set free due to a medical issue. While the attackers might have been losing captives one by one, they were gaining some sympathy for their cause. Papalaya opened up to one of the prisoners, explaining the reasoning for the terrorist action. His parents, among many others who had fought with the Royal Dutch East Indies Army, had been exiled to the Netherlands in 1950. Back then, the government told them their housing in former Nazi concentration camps was only temporary. Authorities claimed their island home would be an independent republic within six months. When that never happened, he and many other young Moluccans in the Netherlands felt they'd been betrayed by the Dutch. Despite their ordeal, some of the prisoners felt that the cause was just. They resigned themselves to peacefully waiting for the government to come to an arrangement with the terrorists. Everyone was shocked when instead of further negotiations, the military attacked with force, spraying bullets and dropping smoke bombs from planes. It turned out that the decision to board the train was brought on by a misunderstanding. On June 8th, the captives had one of their number use a hand mirror to send a message using Morse code. He flashed the mirror on and off to communicate, quote, come and help us get out. Allegedly, what was meant by that was that they wanted the government to accede to at least a portion of the demands laid out by Papalaya and put an end to the standoff. But officials interpreted the code as a request to free them by force. Once the terrorists were overpowered, 19-year-old Ansha Manshu was discovered among the victims, shot in her head. As she had predicted, she tragically did not leave the train alive. The leader of the extremists, Papalaya, was also found among the dead, executed by the Marines. Later, to publicize the military victory, the empty train, riddled with tens of thousands of bullet holes, was driven all across the Netherlands in a patriotic display. For their part, the Moluccan community held a large public funeral for the hijackers whose lives were lost. More than 7,000 Moluccans swarmed a Dutch city that day, mourning the loss of six members of their community. Tensions continue in the Netherlands between the Dutch and the large Moluccan population that still resides there. The nationalities live largely segregated, with some of the Moluccan residential districts built upon the sites of the former concentration camps. 
But a 2008 study done of the Moluccan diaspora in the Netherlands attested that the third generation has settled more comfortably into Dutch society. While they may work to preserve their own cultural heritage and language, they see themselves as Dutch citizens and strive for a common future in the Netherlands. As for the Moluccan Islands, more than 40 years later, they're still not their own independent state. They may no longer be under Dutch rule, but they're officially a province of Indonesia. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskin, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Christine Colby, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Bennett Logan. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hey there, Carter again. As we close out, here's a reminder to check out my new ParCast limited series, Devious Dads. For 10 weeks, we're exposing the men who are far more flawed than fatherly, ruining anyone who stood in their way, even their own families. Follow Devious Dads free only on Spotify. Spotify.